Hey, Misfits, Pastor Brian here, and we're back with week three of our Advent series. This week's message explores the powerful connection between hope and love leading us to extraordinary joy. Speaking of joy, join us for our candlelight service this Saturday at 5.30 p.m. as we celebrate together the birth of Jesus. Let's go. Did those kids do a good job or what? Yeah? pretty cool, man. I I was sitting there thinking, it's like, I think this is our eighth or ninth Christmas together as a church, and as small of a church as we are, to always have some sort of uh, children's event or special like that. And uh, this year you have Anna and Brandy to thank for that, so give them a round of applause as well. Because they put all that together with kids who are in and out, and they do it back here room where we can probably hear them singing half the time through the sermons and everything else. So it's just fantastic having the kids up here on the stage and a lot of future worship leaders, obviously, that we saw there tonight as well. We'll start them in about the fifth grade usually here at Refuge. Uh, We're going through a season of Advent as a church. Advent is a season of looking back and looking ahead. It's looking back to the first coming of Christ, and it's looking forward to his glorious return. It's a four-week series. It's traditional in the liturgical church. We look at love, hope, joy, and peace, which are just foundational themes that capture the significance of Christ's birth. Having previously looked at love in our first week and then hope last week, this week we explore joy that comes from the uniting of hope and love. And so we begin tonight with the final book of the Old Testament. If you were here last week, we kind of walked through the books of the Old Testament and told the story of hope and of Christmas through the Old Testament. I want to go back there one more time with the final book of the Old Testament written by the prophet Malachi. Malachi 3.1, this is God speaking. God says, look, I am sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. By the way, if you don't know, during this time period, there is no temple. The temple was destroyed, so that's already a sign of hope because maybe there will be a temple again. Malachi 4, 5, 6, he continues, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. And so God is speaking. He says, I am coming to rescue humanity, but before I come... I will send a messenger to prepare hearts for my arrival. And that's the end of the Old Testament. It's a bit of a cliffhanger. And the years begin to go by. 400 years go by. And it's nothing. No more books of the Bible. No more words from God. And sometimes we hear that like, oh, it was just 400 years. Let me put 400 years in perspective for you. America's independence was about 200 years ago, a little bit more. And that seems like a completely different world than today. If you go back 400 years ago, the people, intelligent people, thought the world was still flat. 400 years is a long time. And so 400 years go by, and each generation that came and went, the hope that would arise in some of those Old Testament stories would again begin to dim. 400 years of waiting. And so that's where we pick up in Luke's gospel, that 400 years of waiting. And Luke writes this in verse 5, chapter 1. He says, when Herod was the king of Judea. And so we know during this time, Rome is in rule. And Herod isn't actually the king. He's not the Caesar. He is a regional king. He's more like a governor given jurisdiction over the Jewish community. And Herod is a bad guy. 
He doesn't love God. He doesn't love God's people. He only cares about power. Very paranoid. He had his wife killed. He uses religion only for the purpose of control and manipulation. But he did some good things. He built some great buildings. And he made sure when he built those great buildings that everybody knew he was responsible for those buildings by printing his name on the side of each building. One of those buildings that Herod had built was the second temple in Jerusalem which fulfilled that prophecy in Malachi, showing yet again in Scripture that God will use anyone and everyone for his purpose. And so Luke continues, There was a Jewish priest, his name was Zechariah, and his wife, Elizabeth. And so we're introduced to two people, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, when I moved to Florida, uh, 2003 is when we moved down here. Uh, it was a real estate boom, if you remember back then. And it seemed like every single person you met was a realtor. And they had a real estate license. I had somebody tell me when I first moved here, they said, don't worry about getting a driver's license. When you get pulled over, the cop will just ask you for your realtor license. Realtors in the early 2000s in Florida were a dime a dozen. Well, in 30 B.C. Judea, priests were a dime a dozen. They really weren't all that special. There were 24 divisions of priests, 750 divisions. That made 18,000 or so priests. And so we as humans spend all this time striving to set ourselves apart as somebody. When over and over and over again in Scripture, God's preference is working with the humble dime a dozen nobodies. Elizabeth and Zechariah. Verse 6, it says, They were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. In ancient patriarchal times, if a couple could not have a child, it was always the woman's fault. We know that not to be true today, obviously, but they did not. And so if you couldn't have a child, it was the woman's fault. And so in the eyes of their neighbors, Elizabeth had failed... As a wife, on the most basic level, she had not given her husband a son to honor their name and to support their family. So this is the beginning of the Christmas story. Right at the beginning of Luke, this is how the story begins. To dime a dozen nobodies, loving God, serving their church, wanting kids, but God not blessing them with a child. In ancient times, children were seen as God's reward for faithful service. And so imagine the questions of these two. God, what is your plan for our lives? We have been good and faithful servants. We love you, but this is hard to understand. And Luke adds this. He says, and they were both very old. Luke is a brilliant storyteller. I've said this before. And so he's setting up the scene He says, here we go again, another hopeless, impossible situation. Will God come through again, making the impossible possible? Verse 8, it says, one day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his odor was on duty that week. There are no retirement age for priests. He's old. He's still got to work. It says, as was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to burn incense. This is a big deal. This is something, if you were a priest, you would get selected maybe, if you were lucky, once in a lifetime. And so this is Zechariah's Super Bowl. It is the peak of his humble career. And it says in verse 10, while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. 
So let me just set up the scene here. Zechariah is there and he's in the temple. It's the moment that he has waited for his entire life. 30, 40 years of going to work at that same old temple. Every year, the leader rolls the dice. Loser, not your turn. Rolls the dice. Loser, not your turn. Rolls the dice. Loser. Rolls the dice. It's your turn. It's his one shot. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mom's spaghetti. Yo. Some people are like, what is happening? I don't know what he is talking about. Question. I'm going to ask this to the group. Favorite smells. What's your favorite smells, Jane? Fresh baked cookies. I heard fresh baked bread. Bacon. That's why you smell like that all the time? <laughs> Hold on, give me a couple more. Babies? Like, what do they smell like? Oh. Oh, like baby powder? Ba- okay. It's been a while for me. I've not had a baby for well, Babies, okay. Christmas trees? Real ones? Justin's like, no. Allergy. Oh, you love, okay. <laughs> Any others? Salt air? Lilac? Grass or brass? <laughs> okay. You mean the kind in your yard, right? <laughs> My, mine is Mexican apple pie at Cantina Laredo. Yes. Brandy butter sauce, cinnamon ice cream on a cast iron skillet sizzling. Oh, it's worth going there to eat the chips and salsa and the apple pie. The end. That's all you need. <laughs> they are sponsoring this episode of Refuge Church tonight. <laughs> that is what our prayers to God are like. That's why he is burning this incense, this smell, this aroma that rises up to God, which is that is what the burning symbolizes for those who are outside in the crowd. And so he's inside burning this incense, this aroma rising up to God. Outside there is a crowd. Elizabeth is in that crowd. She is proud of her husband this day. But for most people, it's just a regular day. They're just going through the motions, down on their knees, wishing Grandpa would hurry up and get it over with. Verse 11, it says, While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. We've talked about this before. Biblical angels are not the little precious moments you see on Christmas cards. They are bigger than life and scary as hell. And so verse 13 says, the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Angel isn't scolding him. He is trying to comfort him in this situation. He says, fear not. Calm down, old man. Don't give yourself a heart attack. Angel says, God has heard your prayer. And so Zechariah thinks, he's like, well, what prayer was that? That my arthritis would stop hurting? That Herod would be removed from power? That I'd finally get chosen on this day to burn this incense? And the angel says, no, that your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Oh, that prayer. We kind of assume God already answered that one with a big fat no. Verse 14, the angel says, You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. After decades 
of waiting. After countless nights lying awake, wondering why God hadn't answered their prayer, wondering what they had done wrong, all the tears, and the angel says, you're going to have a child who will bring great joy, and not only that, cause many people to rejoice. That word rejoice, it's rejoy, it's turning back to joy, it's a renewal of joy. Angel says, But hang on, let me tell you about this child of yours. Verse 15 says, For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to their Lord God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah is a priest. That means he knows scripture. And so he ought to at least know what this angel is saying. This is the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. And he's also being told at the same time, this child of yours is a rock star. He is going to be a dream child. If you caught all that, it says, who's always going to love God. He'll bring joy to everyone he meets. He's going to be bold yet humble. He'll find work that he loves that brings both him and others joy. If you're getting ready to have a kid, would that not be a great promise to hear from an angel about your child? This is incredibly good news. Zechariah should be overwhelmed with joy. But instead, in verse 18, Zechariah says to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? (laughs) I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. He's very nice about it. He doesn't say his wife is an old lady. He just says she's well along in years, like like a beautiful old wine or something. Here's the problem. Zechariah is older. That means he has lived a lot of life. That means that life has kicked his butt more than once. He's walked through disappointments. He's wrestled with unanswered prayers. He's been let down. He's been beat down because that's what life does. And so all these passage of years in his life has made him jaded and cynical and skeptical, all of which makes us less open to joy. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Yeah? As adults, we come into Christmas, and it's supposed to be a joyful season, and for many of us, there's just not a lot of joy. Why? Because we've been hurt. We've experienced loss. Some of us are afraid to allow ourselves to experience joy because we're adults, and we know what's waiting right around the corner. Another loved one's going to die. Another bill's going to show up that we can't afford. Another friend who promised they would always be there is going to leave us. We're afraid to get our hopes up, like Zechariah, because we have a history. A history of being let down. Verse 19, the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this Good news. You know, there's only two angels named in the Bible. Anybody know the other one? Michael. Michael. Gabriel and Michael. Only two angels named by name. Why does Gabriel wait until now to give his name? He's flexing. (laughs) 
His name literally means strength of God. And so angel to Zechariah, he says, man, you're overthinking this. I am a freaking angel from God in your presence. I just told you you're going to have a child, the child you've always dreamed of. And if you're paying attention, I just told you that your child was going to be the one to welcome the Messiah into the world. Bro, just enjoy the moment. Enjoy. That's another word for joy. It's the verb form of joy. To make a choice to take pleasure in something, which makes joy not just a passive, emotional experience, but joy something we get to participate in. We get to make a choice to embrace happiness. That's right. I said the H word in church. Happiness. For some dumb reason, there is this unbiblical separation of joy from happiness that has infiltrated the church, capital C. You'll hear sometimes, well, happiness is secular. Joy is sacred. Or you're not called to happiness, you're called to holiness. Or God is not, this is my favorite, God is not concerned with your happiness. If you heard these before, preached on a Sunday morning. Have you ever wondered, have these people ever read the Bible? The Bible says that God is a loving father. What kind of dad does not want happiness for his children? Psalm 68.3, the godly are happy. They rejoice before God and are overcome with joy. The Bible doesn't play favorites in the use of language for happiness, joy, contentment, gladness, satisfaction. And so let me share a few quotes with some of my favorite preachers from the old day. C.S. Lewis says, It is a Christian duty for everyone to be as happy as they can. Charles Spurgeon, My dear brothers and sisters, if anybody in the world ought to be happy, we are the people. How boundless our privileges, how brilliant our hopes. A.W. Tozer, The people of God ought to be happiest people in all the world. God takes pleasure in the pleasure of his people. If you want to go even further back, Paul writes in Philippians 4 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. In scripture, when you see something repeated in that way, that is a bold underlined exclamation mark to the sentence. The Bible literally commands us to be happy. Not in a, oh boy, here's another thing I got to do as a Christian. I got to be happy all the time. No. The Bible is giving us a license to enjoy life. It means when we're eating a slice of pizza tonight, we can find joy. When we go to that great concert, find some joy. When you're standing at your wedding altar, man, I have to share this. I have a neighbor getting married today or his daughter's getting married in their backyard. You know what it's like out there today. So let's pray that they find some joy there at that wedding altar. Or maybe it's snuggling with your dog. Or if you're a cat person, I wouldn't find joy in that. But maybe you (laughs) find joy in that. There is no wall between your secular life and your spiritual life. It's all just life. And it's all meant to be enjoyed. But life, because of years, because of time, because of bad preachers, has a way of robbing us of our ability to just enjoy it. 
Verse 20, this is the angel still speaking. It says, but now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. Zechariah's natural response should be to celebrate, to express tremendous gratitude, to want to share this joy with others. But instead, he finds himself silent, weighed down by doubt and disbelief, struggling to accept the joy that is rightfully his. Anybody been there? You get a well-deserved compliment. And instead of experiencing the joy of that recognition... You just deflect, rendered silent by your insecurity. Or maybe you get that long-awaited blank, job, house, whatever. But you can't enjoy it because your joy has already been silenced by all the what-ifs, the second-guessing. You're on vacation. You're in a beautiful tropical paradise But you can't enjoy it because you've already been silenced by the voice of dread in your head of having to go home again. Or you're hanging out with one of these little kids up here. And when you're with them, there is so much potential for joy, but you're silenced because you didn't get invited to that Christmas party. And that's all you can think about. Or this is a tough one. You find out some great news. But as an adult, you silence your joy Because other adults seem to dislike the fact that you have something to be happy about. It's a tough one. Verse 23, it says, When Zechariah's week of service, there's no calling in sick, was over, the temple he um, was over, he returned home. And so they go home. They go back to their humble lives, to their modest home, in some obscure town, away from the crowds, away from the noise. It says, Soon afterward, the Bible is just so blunt, Elizabeth became pregnant. Now, you would think at this point, this mother, who had given all hope up of having a child, would want to run and tell everyone this good news, right? But that's not what she does. It says, Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. I don't remember the angel ever commanding her to go into seclusion. If you are full of joy, do you go into seclusion for five months? I don't know, maybe, and I'll make a few cases on this. We're not told. I personally find a lot of joy in seclusion, so maybe I can appreciate that a little bit, but we can hypothecate. Maybe she's embarrassed about being pregnant at such a young or old age, or maybe she wanted to wait until she was obviously pregnant so nobody could accuse her of lying, or maybe she's avoiding the unsolicited advice that people want to give you when you are expecting. Some of you can give an amen on that. Or maybe she's so full of joy, maybe she is, that she just wants to take this time to be with God, to talk with God, to worship God, to rub her belly, to knit baby blankets, to rejoice that she has a speechless husband. We don't know. (laughs) But one day, we do know that the joy sets in. She comes out of seclusion, verse 25. She can't hold it back anymore. She exclaims, how kind is the Lord. God has taken away my disgrace of having no children. What's the opposite of disgrace? Grace. She just said, God has shown me grace. I was barren, but by God's grace, I'm expecting. And I don't care what anyone thinks. My heart overflows with joy. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Gabriel is at it once again. 
He goes to visit another lady. Her name is Mary. Her engaged to be husband is Joseph. Same thing happens. Gabe shows up. He's like, yeah, 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 I know I'm scary looking. Verse 30, don't be afraid. And he says, Mary, you have found favor. You have grace with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. I'm not going to name him John. This one you're going to name Jesus. And so if you read the story, Mary's dumbfounded. How can this happen? I'm still a virgin. Gabe says the old thing. They say all the time, nothing is impossible with God. Now, Mary and Elizabeth are cousins. And when the angel tells Mary that her cousin is six months pregnant, Mary's like, that's awesome. And she rushes to visit her cousin. Verse 41, it says, at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her. Verse 44, it says, Elizabeth uh, is speaking to Mary. She says, when I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Zechariah, let's go back to him. He is an adult. He is mature. He has life experience. He gets good news. That should bring great joy. And what does he do? He hesitates. He has doubt. He is cynical. John, a child so young that his only life experience is his mother's belly. He has the exact opposite reaction. It says he leaps for joy. Some of you adults in the room are like, how's that even possible? It's cramped in there. There's no room to leap in a mom's belly. The kids in the room tonight are like, who cares? I would rather imagine a baby dancing in the mom's womb having a party. That's how adults and kids are different. That's what my friend Chat came up with for the baby in the womb from a child's perspective. Children have an incredible capacity for joy. It was so fun seeing that joy up here on the stage. Yet life has the unlimited potential to try to steal that God-given capacity for joy. Got a Christmas card this week. Love this family. The Cristianos, they're sitting up here. I don't know if anybody got the card. It says joyful on the front of it. So kind of fitting for tonight. And they've got some notes here on the back. I had to write them down here because my eyes are so bad I can't see this. But she just wishes everybody a Merry Christmas. And then she puts uh, Jane and Justin's hopes for 2024. They list three of them. Um, Gain a few more wrinkles from smiling. (laughs) To remain as healthy as possible. And I love this one because I'm an insurance agent agent owner. Uh, No hurricanes in Florida. Amen. And then they have one child, Trip. He'll be four in January. They listed out his hopes for 2024. Ready for this? He wants to swim a lot, wants to see some dinosaurs, (laughs) and wants to catch a crab at the beach. There's just something so innocent about children, which maybe tonight can give us some insight into our own ability to experience joy. My kids are getting older. One in college. One almost in college, the other one a middle schooler. And so I've kind of got a little amnesia about how fun and difficult I know sometimes that the younger toddler, I love this row of about five or six toddlers up here jamming on the guitar. I I forgot how fun they can be. Jane came to Emory's soccer game this week to support her and watch her play soccer, and she brought little Trip, who's four, along with her. Now, how many in the room remember the ad campaign, Be Like Mike? I think it's like from the 90s. It's a Gatorade campaign, but it got huge, and it was like, everybody, be like Mike, be like Mike. Well, 
I thought maybe we could talk about experiencing more joy in life. We could roll out our own campaign here at Refuge. It's called Be Like Trip. (laughs) Because this little trip, man, came to Emory's soccer game. I watched him. And the first thing I noticed is just that natural curiosity that a child has. He is able to see the extraordinary and the most ordinary of things, running up and down the bleachers. Maybe annoying to everybody else, but he was having a blast running up and down the bleachers. Found tremendous joy. Like all kids, he was living in the moment. Wasn't burdened by his past, wasn't worried about the future other than what they were going to have for dinner that night. And that allowed him to just fully engage with the people and surroundings in his presence. I love the unfiltered emotions. No restraint on little kids. When he was happy, he smiled and he laughed and he jumped. And when he was upset, he let you know, which meant he got over it relatively quickly. I was amused by his lack of inhibition. Emery didn't get to start this game. It's middle school soccer. She's only in sixth grade. Sometimes she starts. Sometimes she doesn't. And so Tripp's confused by this. And so he just keeps asking loudly in front of all the other parents there, why isn't Emery in the game? (laughs) I was kind of wondering the same thing myself, but I didn't say it out loud. And as soon as Emery got in the game, I mean, he was so excited, he could not contain himself. He runs down the bleachers right at the end. Emery! Emery! Just waved. She waved back at him, which was nice. I watched how easily Tripp found joy for others. He shared this little game with Karen that he was playing, and Karen did something on it. He's like, oh, you did such a good job. So encouraging. Imagine that, someone else doing well and not being jealous or envious about it. And I could go on and on. The simple pleasures, like his wish list to be able to go to the beach and catch a crab. That's his big wish for 2024. Or the imagination, wanting to meet a dinosaur, or thinking of a baby flipping in his mom's belly. Or the adventurous spirit, willing to discover the unknown. Or the resilience, that ability to bounce back. And I love Tripp. He is a special kid. But these are traits of all children. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see how much more joy-filled children are than us cranky old adults. Matthew, write, or, yeah, Matthew writes in 18, Jesus speaking, says, Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus speaks of the kingdom of heaven, most of the time, He's not talking about some far-off place in the afterlife. He's referring to the kingdom of God that is accessible to us right now. And so here's my thesis statement for this sermon. If you want to experience heaven on earth, if you want to experience joy, then shed the cynicism, the skepticism, the giving a crap what people think, and act like a child. The innocence. The purity, the humility, the trust, the simplicity, the dependence, the wonder, the curiosity, the authenticity, the playfulness. And you're sitting there going, well, so what do I need to do? Like, throw my food at dinner tonight? (laughs) Maybe. Because I can tell you, if it doesn't bring you joy, it will everybody else sitting around (laughs) you at the dinner table. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, am I just supposed to cry when I don't get my way? Well, at least you get it out of your system instead of letting that build into resentment. 
I mean, I mean, surely I can't be dependent completely upon another human being. And I know it's scary, but I'll tell you, if you don't fully depend upon and trust the person you're married to, it ain't going to be a joyful marriage. And I'm going to throw this one in for the kids in the room tonight. Recipe for joy. Ready? Go home tonight, kids. Tell your parents it will bring them and you tremendous joy if they let you open a present early tonight. Just drop that right there. <laughs> so kind of wrap up here tonight. You guys, uh, oftentimes when I preach, you get a little Brian therapy session where I'm thinking through my own life. And as I preached on hope last week, I'll be honest, hope is one of those things in my life that comes pretty easy. I'm a hopeful person. I'm wired for hope. I like to dream about a better future. I do believe that things can and will be improved, and I can be a part of that. So hope comes easy for me. But this also means that because of that hope, I also see everything that's wrong in the world, everything that's wrong in my life, because I hope that it can be made right. And that seeing everything that's wrong robs me of a lot of joy. And so I had lunch with Nicole this week, who we work together pretty closely here in the church, and I apologize to her because I know I can be the kind of person that points out everything that's constantly wrong in the world. And I have to do that for a lot of people who work close with me because being a fixer, while it has brought me a lot of personal success in life, can be a real downer for people who are around me, and it can be a thief of my own personal joy. As adults, we complicate joy. We get bogged down with worries and what-ifs, but kids, man, they got it figured out. And so if you want to volunteer in our children's ministry, (laughs) (laughs) kidding, not kidding, (laughs) but you need to spend some time with some kids, right? Try it. Watch them. See their joy this Christmas. See them living in the moment and running, and laughing, and chasing crabs at the beach, and being happy. Life is short, so shouldn't we enjoy it? That's what your father wants. How much? How much does he want you to enjoy life? Luke 2.10, there were shepherds in the field they read earlier. They're guarding their flocks by night. You guys know this story. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appears. We're not giving it a name, but I'm betting it's Gabe. It's a busy season for him again. And the shepherds are afraid. Again, angel says what they always says, don't be afraid. And you know the line. They say, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people, the Savior. Yes, the Messiah has been born today in Bethlehem. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. I'm going to ask Presley and Anna to come up. I want to close with a song tonight just to give us an opportunity to respond. We've done this each week of this series. said, you know, love was born and love went to the cross and hope was born and hope went to the cross. Well, I want us to also think of Jesus as pure joy in the flesh. And so joy was born in a manger. Joy lived a life that would make anyone cynical and jaded. And joy stretched out his arms on the cross, turning our disgrace to grace so that we can have that joy, 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 down in our hearts to stay. And so as we close tonight, I want to give you a chance to advent, if you will, to take a moment to pause and to reflect and to savor the good news. And so won't you stand? And as you sing...
Don't worry about the people around you or how bad or good your voice is. Just sing like those kids. When it gets to any part you know at all, just scream it out, allowing your hearts to be filled with joy. Let's sing.